The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Gaiman mentioned in the news headlines uh, there these new sentencing uh, guidelines. Minister for Justice Helen McEntee is with me in studio. Minister, you're welcome uh, to the show. Um, so, what has Cabinet approved today? So what we've approved today is a body of work, essentially a review that's been underway in my department for some time now, looking at overall kind of penal and prison policy. Um, What I'm trying to do with, so there's 21 actions in it and kind of overarching themes, really what we're trying to do is how can we make community safer? How can we reduce reoffending? How can we re-divert people away from crimes? While also acknowledging that the sentence must match the crime. So there's a balance in what we have here. So some of the proposals are looking at alternative uses to prison or alternative uh, sanctions to prison. So more so for minor types of offences, initially really focusing on sentences of three months or less, but potentially Mm. up to 12 months. So where people are not a risk to society, where they're not violent, where they haven't committed serious crimes, we're not talking about assault, sexual assault, rape, murder, any of these types of crimes. We're talking about where potentially two hours, 200 hours maybe of community service might serve a person better as a punishment than three months in prison where they potentially might lose their job, lose their place in school. What type of offences are you talking about there? Um, Well, without being prescriptive and we're not being prescriptive in it. So, you know, minor offences that might, you know, people ask around paying TV licences or types of offences where you are potentially liable to a smaller sentence in prison. Now, we're not talking about suddenly 20 or 30% of sentences looking at community sanctions instead. This is still a small number, but it's where people might have a first offence. So in particular, a young person, you think, where there might be an initial minor offence, might be a petty theft or something like that, where, you know, they haven't assaulted somebody, they haven't been a menace to society, they're not out day and night causing harm. Um, There are options there to maybe help somebody rethink what they've done not lose their place in school, maybe not lose their job, but still that there's a punishment there and, you know, 200 hours or whatever it might be is still a form of punishment. And what form would those community sanctions take or community service? I mean, would there be kind of a restorative element? You know, you smashed windows in this house, you're there kind of, I don't know, putting back in broken windows elsewhere or or what's the view? So I think we need to expand what we have. At the moment you have community service and it is what people think, you know, picking weeds, scrubbing graffiti, it's, you know, working in different things where you have schools, obviously where there's no students there. So what we're looking at is how can we develop policies and frameworks looking at the types of crimes, the type of community service, the type of non-paid work that maybe might reflect what you're just saying there, the types of crime as well. So we don't really do a whole pile of this. It's not something that judges tend to hand down. I don't think there are very very many options for judges, so that's why it doesn't happen. So you end up very often with the revolving door, but also people who go into prison potentially end up nearly worse because they meet people in there or they end up losing their job. They then have issues when they come out getting work because they've been in prison and then that suddenly sets them on a path that they might necessarily have gone on if they've gone another route. So, we, you know, it, it, it's really how do we look at different options here? Um, and the other side of it then, what I've proposed, you know, people will say, well, it's the other extreme. So where you have very serious crimes in particular, where you have life sentences and I have I've flagged this already, but we're setting out clearly this will be done in legislation as part of this work where a judge feels that it's a particularly heinous crime. So it could be murder, could be rape, sexual assault, where a life sentence is imposed, that the factors are so heinous and that it's such a horrendous crime. The victim obviously taking into account or the family of the victim Mm. that they must serve a minimum sentence before they can come before the parole board. At the moment, life, it's 12 years. 
we've increased it recently, but after 12 years, a person can come before the parole board and start a process to try and obviously get to a stage of release. What I'm proposing here is that a judge could say, well, this crime is so horrendous, you can't come before the parole board for at least 20, 25, 30 years, acknowledging that some crimes are such that yeah, that should be the but case. Is, is this about sending a message or is it about kind of a practical change? Because it strikes me that, you know, those criminals, the perpetrators of those heinous crimes, they might come before the parole board after 12 years. A lot of the time they're not getting out after 12 years. They're not and I think on average if you look at, in particular for murder cases, it's about 20 Yeah. Uh, and until recently as Minister for Justice I would have looked at many of these cases. It's now with the parole board. We have set up a, a statutory parole board that solely deals with this. So you are talking about 20 years but on average um, it does mean that there is engagement from 12 years on. You do take into account that where there yeah. was a victim or victim's families there is that then engagement and that's, you know, 12 years might seem like a long time, but it's not particularly where you've had a crime that's really awful so, to have so, to so, start so thinking le- about le- a person coming out of prison or engaging in that process. So it's it's not likely people will actually spend more time behind bars because of this. It just what relieves families, victims, families from having to go through the parole process from year 12 on. And what, it sends a message uh, at sentencing as well that more serious crimes are taken more seriously, is it? Well, no, you potentially will have long, well, you, you will have longer sentences because you won't be able to engage with the parole board, say, if a judge decides 20 years. Yeah, but engaging doesn't have mean a get out. Process. Exactly. You know, those, so. those, those most heinous of crimes, they're not getting out after 12. They might be engaging with the parole board, but they're not going anywhere. No, but this means now that they potentially wouldn't start that engagement until 20 years, which means they mightn't get out for 30. So there is an element of, yes, sending a signal if you commit. And, you know, we can all probably think of really horrendous crimes where you have multiple murders, where you have children, where you have really violent sexual assaults, where victims, you know, either are are murdered or where they are left traumatised for life. You have to acknowledge that Sometimes sentences deserve a harsher penalty here. But what I'm very clear on all of this, whether it's the minor sentences and the three months or less or the the higher end, it is at the discretion of the judiciary. Mm. So it's about making sure that the person who hears the case, hears the facts, you know, is engaging with the perpetrator, but also the victims and everything else, that they can take those into account and then make that decision. So Cabinet have given approval for for this to proceed, both uh, reforms. Well, I say both. There's only kind of two we talked about, as you mentioned, there's a suite of measures. When might we see all this in effect? So it's it's basically what we've agreed today is a direction of travel. So this is over the next two years. So some of the actions are very clear cut. So the minimum tariff for the life sentence that we just discussed, that the intention is that it will be brought forward in legislation in early next year, so 2023. Some of the other pieces of work, so setting out the new types of community sanctions or other areas, you know, we're talking about women in prison, the types of work that you could do there, minority groups, is there different types of reforms that you could put in place? That's work that still has to be done, but it's all going to be done over two years. Anything that hasn't been laid out in concrete and where there's further work to be done, a decision will have to be made by Cabinet. So there'll be nothing decided without Cabinet signing off on and, and obviously money being put in place. But I suppose it's 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 thinking about things in a different way. You know, it was put to me, are we are we being are we being weak on criminals or are we, you know, are we not being tough enough here? I think we have to acknowledge sometimes that there are different routes that we can take that can actually help keep all of us safer because it might turn a person on a different path than they might be going on. On the other side of things, sometimes we just have to say, well, prison is the right place that Mm. they should be because of the crime that they've committed. Um, Dara Kaliri has been appointed Minister for State taking over from uh, Robert Troy. Um, Are you happy with that appointment? 
Well, look, I, I wish him well. Yes, I think he's a good appointment. Um, it was obviously a decision that was not in my hands. It was decided by the Taoiseach and, and the Taunish and Minister Ryan. Um, it's a role that he has been in before. I know it's some time ago, um, so it's something, it's a department that he would know. But I, I wish him well. I've worked with him. I think he's a, a good guy. He's been a good minister before and uh, I hope... I hope The, the hope fact that he had well. to resign under something of a cloud relatively recently, that doesn't give you any misgivings, pause for thought... Well, I mean, if if you look at that, he apologised, he resigned pretty quickly and obviously subsequently, and I'm not going to get into it, there have been court cases and there's been very clear um, assessing out of what happened and, and uh, at the time um, in relation to that event. So I think I think that's there. People can judge the facts for themselves, but the court case set out very clearly no, the, what, what the, the didn't, co- didn't happen. Yeah, you know, sorry, the court case, the court case has nothing really to do with Derek O'Leary's resignation. You know, the, 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 the Derek O'Leary resigned because of the optics of it. You, you know that as well as I do. Like, what, what the, 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 the subsequent court case had nothing to do with optics. It had to do with what, the legisla- what legislation existed at the time and whether people were in breach of that legislation. Derek O'Leary resigned because it looked absolutely awful that people were gathered in such numbers when they were the people telling everybody else not to gather in these numbers. You know, it, 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 it was... And I, I was going to use a word to describe, I'm not going to, sorry, a, a, a word that might get me in trouble to describe maybe uh, uh, Derek O'Leary's actions there. But it was certainly not clever. And and I think he reflected by the fact that he apologised and resigned immediately. So I think he knew that himself. And I think, you know, you or I should take that into account as well, that when that happened, he resigned immediately and apologised, um, you know, and I think... Should we take that into account and should somebody be able to learn from their mistakes or move on or never be able to then mm. progress in their career? I don't know if that should be the case. People might have a different view on that. But, um, you know, look, the decision was taken today. Obviously, it was a decision by uh, the Taoiseach and, and the leaders of our three parties, but it was approved. And all I can say is I, I wish him well in his role. Uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, though, I see in the last few minutes of being reported by the Irish Times that uh, he owns a rental property that is registered with the Dodds uh, Register of Members' Interests, but uh, the tenancy hasn't been registered for the last few years with the Residential Tenancies Board, as it should have been. So it seems to be a, a, a repeat of some element of the Robert Troy story, but nowhere near on the same scale. Your reaction to that? So I'm like yourself, I'm only just hearing those facts um, and that's more detail, I suppose, than I had um, even coming in here. I think it's important that we allow Stephen just to explain what has happened here and, and to set out exactly, you know, what has happened here. And I think until then, it's very hard to, to say any more. The optics aren't great, though, are they? Well, I think it's important that we all, if we have property, if people are renting, whatever it is that we need to set out in whatever body or organisation that we have to register, I think we all have to do that. And, and that's that's pretty straightforward. We were talking uh, a little bit before you came in about pensions and this Irish Fiscal Advisory Council report today uh, about uh, the burden of funding pensions on younger workers and uh, the, the figure they come up with on average, the 20, 30s and 40 year olds listening to this show paying about two and a half grand extra a year to fund people retiring age 66 uh, into the future. On the sense from listening Listeners, well, there's there's kind of two strains of thought. There is is some people getting in touch with 53106 to say, listen, I've paid my taxes all my life and I'm entitled to retire age 66. That is the law. There are other younger listeners getting in touch uh, to say they feel they're being screwed every which way from Sunday. Do you have sympathy with them? Well, thankfully, I still put myself in that category, a young person at the moment, but uh, not for too much longer. But um, I think we have to acknowledge that 
we're living longer, that's we will probably all have to work longer. How do we make sure that people are cared for later on in life? Um, and this is a huge body of work. It's not straightforward. There's a lot of different strands to it. And I know Heather Humphreys, my colleague, has been working on it for some time. So obviously we're hearing snippets of what may or may not or possible proposals um, until until we see it all in full. It's it's hard to pick it apart or pick certain elements off us. Um, but, you know, I, as as somebody who's 36, I, I assume that I will probably be working well beyond 66 myself and I think we mm. have to figure out how do we how do we make sure that we're not all working till we're 90 but that, you know, we can be catered for and that people can be looked after later on in life and, you know, that there are there are ways that we can do that um, and it's just about getting the balance right and not placing the burden solely on young people. Absolutely. I don't think that this should rest solely on, on yeah. a newer generation, but it's how do we balance it and how do we get it right? Uh, have, 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 have governments and politicians been guilty of kicking that can down the road too often in the past? Well, I think in more recent years, absolutely, it's a conversation that has probably come more to the fore and it's possibly based on the fact that, you know, just what you've outlined, there are people who have worked their entire lives with the intention and the understanding that they would be able to retire at 66 uh, or 65 or, you know, in and around that age. Um, I think it's important, though, that we're realistic now, particularly as we are living longer, you know, do we need to extend that out? And I think that conversation is probably not going to go away now. And I think we just need to, to face up to it. Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. Minister, thanks a minute for joining us Thank here you. in studio. Uh, stay with us after the break. Uh, Snapchat, the latest tech company to be hit by a slowdown. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.